Hi, this is Rosie Tillis and Rachel Hine, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for our yearly in-service examination. Our goal is to take you through high-yield topics along with experts in their respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and potential scores. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message about our sponsors. In this episode, we'll be discussing chemical peels and injectables, and this is part of our quick hits section. So we'll start with Botox today. We are frequently tested on FDA approval for Botox and Botox cosmetic. Some of the FDA approved uses for Botox is to treat overactive bladder, to treat incontinence, to prevent headaches in adults with chronic migraine, to treat increased muscle stiffness or spasms in the upper limb, to treat lower limb spasticity, to treat cervical dystonia in adults, and also to treat strabismus or blepharospasm in people 12 years or older. Some of the FDA approval for Botox cosmetic includes to improve the look of moderate to severe glabellar lines and crow's feet. So Botox cosmetic is only FDA approved for the use of glabellar lines and crow's feet. And in terms of aesthetics uses, Botox itself is also approved to inject for underarm sweating or axillary hyperhidrosis when topicals don't work enough. The mechanism of Botox, it inhibits the release of acetylcholine at the neuromuscular junction. It blocks nerve stimulation and muscular activity and causes muscular paralysis. So myoblock versus Botox, we were tested on this in the past. Myoblock, which is a type of botulinum toxin, it has a shorter duration of action, quicker onset, greater radius of diffusion, and higher pain with injection. Muscles treated with Botox, so remember just not all of these are FDA approved, but commonly treated for the procerus. So the procerus stretches from the nasal bone to the dermis of the glabella and contraction promotes horizontal rhytids in the glabella region. The nasalis is responsible for the bunny lines. The corrugator supercilii promotes vertical rhytids in the glabella region. And the orbiculus oculi serves as a sphincter around the eye and may also contribute to vertical glabella rhytids. After injection of Botox cosmetic in this area, this will frequently result in brow elevation because the orbicularis is typically a brow depressor. So that's important to remember. And the frontalis is responsible for horizontal forehead rhytids above the eyebrows. Paralysis of the frontalis can cause brow depression resulting in eyelidosis. So make sure the question stem will have the resolution of rhytids. So sometimes you'll be asked to differentiate if this is levator ptosis or if this is frontalis ptosis, and it depends on the area injected and if they have the resolution of the forehead wrinkles. The FDA approves of 20 units of Botox for the treatment of the glabellar region, which that and the orbicularis for the crow's feet are the two approved uses. Each unit corresponds to the calculated median interperitoneal lethal dose in mice, the LD50 in mice. Botox is also commonly used for masseteric hypertrophy and discussing the masseter, it originates from the body of the zygoma and inserts on the inferior border of the mandible. Below the transverse line from the earlobe to the corner of the mouth is the safe zone for injection of the masseter. Medications that potentiate the effects of Botox. This is why it is important to check your patient's med list. Penicillamines, quinine, and calcium channel blockers and aminoglycosides. Dysport is another type of botulinum toxin. It's contraindicated in those with a milk allergy. So no dysport for people with milk allergies. Complications of Botox include eyelidosis from inadvertent effect of Botox on the levator palpebrae superioris. And this is most commonly from treatment in the glabella region, like Rachel discussed earlier. 
So iletosis, because of Botox in the levator, is treated with apiclonidine drops or phenylephrine. These stimulate the Mueller muscle, which is an accessory eyelid elevator, and it's located deep to the levator. This can help improve ptosis by one to three millimeters. Apiclonidine is an alpha adrenergic agonist. So in order to treat Botox on the levator, alpha adrenergic agonists. Dysphagia is another complication that can result from Botox administration to the platysma. Often it's uh, injected into the platysma for the platysmal banding. But if it's placed too deep in the cervical mental junction, it affects the strap muscles, which affect voice and swallowing. Great. Thanks, Rosie. So next we'll talk about hyaluronic acid. In general, this lasts four to 12 months. And an example of this would be Juvederm. It's used to inject deep rides or to provide volume in volume deflated areas. So one commonly injected area is the mid face. And for the mid face, you want to use a hyaluronic acid that is highly cross-linked with stability, density, cohesivity, and longevity. Mm -hmm. The depth of injection is pre-periosteal and this optimizes results. And then for the tear trough, you should also inject at the level of the periosteum. It has safer and higher longevity injected there. Calcium hydroxyapatite or radius is a semi-permanent material that can be injected as a soft tissue filler and lasts a little bit longer, one to two years. And this can be prone to nodule formation. So if your patient does develop nodules, the treatment includes direct excision, observation, or needle disruption. So it does not respond to steroids, which was previously asked. And then finally, for the fillers, there's polyalactic acid, i.e. Sculptra. And this is utilized for the treatment of HIV retroviral related lipoatrophy. It is injected subcutaneously in the cheek, submuscularly in the orbital region, and subperiosteally in the temples. Complications of filler injections include um, intravascular injection, which causes embolization of the filler. This requires urgent management to preclude tissue necrosis. Um, signs of this include blindness, pain, blanching, mottled skin discoloration, or slow capillary refill. The blindness often occurs when it is injected into the glabella or the nasal dorsum, and it gets into the retinal artery. This causes retinal artery occlusion, and that, that pathway is from the ophthalmic artery. Only hyaluronic acid can be dissolved with hyaluronidase. You should inject this immediately locally at the site and use warm compresses and nitroglycerin paste as adjuncts. You can reduce your risk of injecting this intravascularly by using large bore blunt cannulas like 27 gauges or larger and injecting less than 0.1 cc's in any single injection site. Avoid any high pressure injection, know your anatomy in the area, and make sure you do local anesthesia with epinephrine to constrict the surrounding vessels. And then if you hear of any complications or if you have a question somewhere, there's a patient who's concerned, you should always evaluate your patients in person to get a, a good baseline evaluation. And another complication of filler injection is the Tyndall effect, which is when calcium hydroxyapatite is placed too near the surface and it turns kind of a blue gray color. Moving on to skincare, we'll start by talking about tretinoin, um, which is vitamin A derivative, and then move on to chemical peels. Vitamin A, so tretinoin, treats sun damage and aging skin. The dose is 0.05 to 0.01%, and it works starting after about three months of use. Effects of tretinoin or vitamin A derivatives include the increased quantity of collagen, types 1, 3, and 7 greater organization of collagen within the dermis, improved organization of elastic tissue, epidermal hyperplasia, 
increased mucin deposition, decreased melanin, decreased thickness of stratum corneum, increased keratinocyte transurate through the dermis. Tretinoin, which is a vitamin A, improves rided, smooth skin, and corrects dyschromia, although it's not indicated for deep rided, only the superficial. It can be used prior to chemical peels or surface lasering. And the mechanism for retinoic acid for treatment of acne is actually decreasing the corneocyte adhesion in the stratum corneum, resulting in reduced follicular occlusion and reduced comedone formation. This results in the inhibition of AP1 transcription factor binding to DNA and a significant reduction in protease activity. Systemic isotretinoin mechanism causes atrophy of the sebaceous glands throughout the body and attenuation of the secretion of sebum. This is Accutane. Right. So when they ask the question, just make sure they're either talking about systemic isotretinoin or the retinoic acid or tretinoin topically because they have two different mechanisms of action and both have been tested. Next, we'll talk about chemical peel. This treats fine lines of refractory to tretinoin. There are different types, which we are tested on. The first is glycolic acid. Um, This is a superficial peel, which we'll talk about depth in a minute, and it is neutralized with sodium bicarbonate. There is salicylic acid, which does not need to be neutralized. And complications of this peel include salicylic acid toxicity, which is very rare, but symptoms to watch out for include rapid breathing, tinnitus, hearing loss, dizziness, abdominal cramps, and central nervous system reactions. It is generally well tolerated even over large body surface areas. So as long as it's less than 20%, you should be at a lower risk for salicylic acid toxicity. TCA peel, which can either be superficial or moderate depth is neutralized with saline and the mechanism for neutralization within the body or the way it is metabolized is it's metabolized in the superficial dermis. So the superficial dermis neutralizes TCA peel. It does not have systemic absorption. Jessner solution, which is a type of superficial peel. This also cannot be neutralized in its consistency, which we are tested on is resorcinol, salicylic acid, lactic acid, and ethanol. Next is the phenol croton oil. It cannot be neutralized and does have systemic absorption. It causes more hypopigmentation than other peels. So it is not for patients that have higher Fitzpatrick's. It is a protoplasmic toxin that disrupts cell walls and denatures proteins. It has rapid dermal absorption and can cause cardiac arrhythmias. So you should have a cardiac and respiratory monitoring when performing this. For the depth of chemical peels, there is a superficial depth peel, which I said was the glycolic salicylic and Jesner solution. And it is also includes TCA if it's less than 30%. The endpoint to look out for when you're applying this is a transparent frost with a pink background. And this indicates the peel has penetrated the superficial dermis. For medium depth peels, which is a TCA 35 to 50%, the endpoint is a deep white frost. And this indicates that the peel has penetrated the upper reticular dermis. That's medium depth peels. And this is good for moderate to deep rightids. And deep peels, which is the phenol croton oil, penetrates to mid reticular dermis, not superficial reticular dermis. And the croton oil dictates the depth of the peel. And these peels are again, only suitable for Fitzpatrick one. There are some complications of chemical peels. The most common one that we are tested on are the herpetic lesion outbreaks. So in any patient with a history of perioral herpetic lesions require pretreatment with acyclovir before any chemical peel procedure. Otherwise you have about a 50% chance of developing an outbreak. And you can also treat the outbreak with acyclovir if you did not pretreat. We will talk about lasers in a totally different lecture. 
but carbon dioxide laser can be used for resurfacing. And this causes complete ablation of the epidermis and superficial papillary dermis with thermal injury and coagulation through the papillary dermis. And this will cause edema, exudation, redness, crusting, and wound healing will be complete in seven to 10 days. So there was a test question about a patient who did receive carbon dioxide laser. There was a question about a patient who had edema and exudation, some erythema and crusting after a carbon dioxide laser. And it had you pick um, what the etiology of that was. And I think a lot of people got tricked because they thought it was in a herpetic lesion outbreak, but it was indeed just normal wound healing for a carbon dioxide laser. So we'll finish by talking about some of the miscellaneous things that have come across in test questions over the past few years. You can only volunteer your non-surgical services, and that includes Botox. You can't, you can't volunteer any surgical services. You cannot administer patient products if bought from outside the U.S., even if it's FDA approved. And for facial fat grafting to maximize the take, you should increase the surface area contact of fat to vascularized tissue. So that means placing extremely small fat amounts within each pass. Facial fat grafting also has longer downtime than filler injection itself. So that concludes our quick hits on chemical peels and injectables. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back soon with another quick hits. We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of our topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they are dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.